this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Go to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, and we've been studying the fall feast. Now remember when you study these that the, the Bible is 66 books. And all of the 40 writers of the Bible that pen the writer, the writings of the word, were Jews. Every one of them. And so part of the, the, the feast that we're talking about is to give us an insight of what the, the, the Hebrew belief is and it'll help us out. And so remember there's seven feasts, three in the spring, one in the summer, and three in the fall. And so we've done the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Five days after that is the Feast of Tabernacle. That's the last one day we're going to study. And so I'm going to try to let the Holy Ghost give us some clarity here and give us a little bit of insight on what, why they did it, but also the significance for me and you. And there's significance in it. So let's begin today. Leviticus 23, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, The fifteenth day of this, the seventh month, shall be the Feast of Tabernacle for seven days to the Lord. Now, a lot of times this is referenced as, as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Shelters. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, we'll get there in just a little bit and it'll tell us what that all means. But each one of us in this room, we all probably have our favorite holiday. And, you know, for each one of us that may look a little different. You may love New Year's Day. You may love the 4th of July, Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving Day. Most of us in here would probably say our favorite is Christmas. Well, if you were to ask the Jews which one of theirs was the favorite, it's the Feast of Tabernacle. They love the Feast of Tabernacle. And out of the seven feasts, five of them were a joyful event. Two of them were very solemn. This was a joyful event. Now just think of the seven. Out of seven, five of them were joyful. You know what that tells me? Father God likes to party. Father God likes to have fun. He likes for us to celebrate and celebrate Him. So in this, you'll see that that was their goal. Man, we're going to celebrate God. So you can celebrate today. Keep reading, verse 35. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no custom work on it. Now what it was was from Sabbath to Sabbath, which really was eight days. And on the first day and on the eighth day, they had an assembling together. They had church. They came together to shout unto God and to praise Him. So we keep reading, starting in verse 37. These are the feasts of the Lord, not the feast of man, but the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, to offer an offering made by fire of the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, drink offerings, and everything on its day. Now we're going to go back and we're going to study some of these and see the significance of what took place there. Verse 38. Besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give the Lord. Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, 
you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days on the first day. There shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. Now what's happening here, they are coming out of their fall harvest. And remember, most of them were, were farmers. And so this was their very livelihood, and they had just harvest. And you know what harvest meant? Payday. It meant that we were going to get taken care of. So this is at the end of harvest, and we start in verse 40 now. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit or the foliage of beautiful tree branches, of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So what they would do, they would go out and find the branches of leafy trees, willows, and palm trees. And they would cut them down, and on their property, they would, they would make what we would call little tents or huts or shelters. And these would be on their homes, sometimes on their balconies, and many of them would stay there the whole week. Some would eat meals there. Some would go out there and just pray. And you say, why would they do that? Well, keep reading, and it'll tell us. Verse 41. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in the generations you shall celebrate in the seventh month. Once again, something we got to understand about this, that they did this every year, year after year after year, generations after generations. And I believe the reason that God wanted that to happen is they never forgot it. And if you do something every year like they did this, it would keep that vision and what God intended it for it to be stirred up within us. I believe this is important that we keep the things of God stirred up in us from generations to generations. You know how the, the, the generations that are behind us learn the things of God? Is we teach them. And we tell them. And that's why it's important as parents, that's why it's important as guardians that you teach the people in your home the things of God so they'll get it. So we never forget it. Verse 42, you shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in the booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in the booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So right here, this, this tells me the purpose of the significance of why they had these booths. And the reason was, is when the Israelites came out, out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they were totally dependent on Father God. For everything. Remember, when they left Egypt, they had basically nothing. And so God provided them food, man and quail. He provided them water. Remember in, in Exodus 17, that's where God caused the water to come out of the rock, and everything else that they needed while they were in the desert, God provided. And he said, I don't want the generations to follow you to ever forget this. Now, since God provided back then, he still provides today. He'll still take care of us today when we trust him. And this is where God got the covenant name in uh, Genesis twenty-two fifteen. They called him Jehovah Jireh, meaning God will provide. He's still Jehovah Jireh. He'll still provide. He'll still take care of us. So to really help us with this, 
what they would do is one day during the Feast of Tabernacle, they would have a parade. And they would all gather at the temple. And they would come in with palm branches. Now, palm branches were always big to them. And if you didn't know why, if you ever looked at a palm leaf, it's shaped like that. Not peace, victory. Victory. So all day long, they would carry those palm branches with them, and they would shout, and they would wave them. And on this time of the parade, they would leave the temple, and they would go all the way to the Pool of Siloam. And the whole time they were going, they would sing, they would shout, they would speak over and over Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. You can read that in your own time. And throughout this, they would begin to cry out to God. Now, as the priest would lead them, he had two golden vessels or two pitchers with him. One they would fill as a wine offering. The other one, when he got to the pool of Siloam, he would fill with water. They would take them all the way back to the temple. Then the priest himself, he would go into the temple and there were two basins there. One, he would give the wine offering which represented thanks for the harvest they had just taken place. But then he would put in the, the water as a drink offering. Now the water was for, number one, the, the, the provision that God had given them for just previously through the harvest, but the water was they would cry out to Father God that he would bless them the upcoming year with rain, specifically the winter rains. Now, any time that God wanted to get, especially the Jews' attention, but mankind's attention, he always messed with their water. Always. And if you ever start studying Scripture, look how many times you'll find out that on this earth there was a judgment that was placed on water. So the Jews never took water or rain for granted. This was big. This was their whole livelihood. It would be like how you make a living, but in their life, they had to have that rain for their crops to come forward. So they would begin to chant and they would shout. And one of the verses they would talk about over and over was Psalms 118, verse 25. It says, save now, O God. I say, save now. Prosper now, O God. I say, prosper now. And they were bold in chanting because they understood for us to prosper and for us to be saved, it's going to have to be through God. So this was part of the drink offering. Listen to what some ancient rabbis said about this. They said, anyone who hasn't seen the water or the drink offering has never seen rejoicing in life. Now, I really wonder what they did. I got an imagination. Now, I believe, man, they would shout with the, the, the top of their lungs. They would spin it around, and they would get bold and say, Save now, O God, save now. Prosper now, O God. So we jump back into some of the other offerings. One of the offerings they did, would they would offer bulls. They would offer 70 bulls during that week. The first day they would offer 13, the second day 12, the third day 11, and on down to 7. If you add those up, those are 70. The 70 was they were sacrificing those bulls in proxy 
for the Gentile nations, all 70 of them, that had come from Noah's tribe. And you know what they were saying? Save now, God. Save now. And it was not just for the Jewish people. It was for the people around the world. You know what that sounds like to us in the New Testament? John 3.16 For God so loved the world. And so this was part of their sacrifice. They said, you know what? We're going to believe God for the harvest of souls. And I believe that's where we got to get back. Right now, you know, the the things that are going on in the Middle East can be very disturbing. The things that are going on in Africa can be very disturbing right now with the Ebola and all that. But you know what? In those nations, there are people that love Jesus and they're born again. And there's people in those nations that need to be born again. And it's our job to pray and it's our job to bless. And you know what? Every one of us in this room, we can't go to Iraq or Africa right now, but we can pray for missionaries that are going. And we can pray that laborers cross their path. So this was part of their prayer. Also during that week, they would sacrifice 98 lambs. Every day, for seven days, they would sacrifice 14 lambs. I'm going to show you how smart I am. 7 times 14 is 98. I've had a week to add that up, so it helped me. 98, okay. Remember, in Colossians last week, it talked about everything that took place in the Old Testament was shadows of things that were to come. So what did the 98 lambs that were sacrificed stand for? If we were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 63, that whole passage there talks about the curses, the curses that are on mankind. You know how many of them there are? 98. So you know what they were saying? Oh, Father God, we're sacrificing these lambs that their blood would cover instead of curses, blessing. Blessing. How does that look for me and you as New Testament believers? Well, I'm glad you asked. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so as they sacrificed those lambs to redeem them from the curse, Jesus did that for me and you once and for all. What's the curse? Poverty, sickness, and death. And so because what Jesus did for every one of us in this room, I can now walk in divine life, divine health, and divine blessing. I encourage you to speak that. He's already paid for Jesus died for us to walk in that. He said, no more poverty, no more sickness, and no more death. So you know what that means? If he's already died for that, I'm going to walk in life. I'm going to walk in John 10, 10 life. He came to give me life, and he came to give you life, and that more abundantly. You know what else he died for? Sickness and disease. I thank you today, Lord Jesus, because you took that for me. No sickness or disease comes near my dwelling. Walk in divine health. And then, you know what? He said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you in every area of your life. 
I don't just want to bless you in your wallet. I want to bless you in the city and I want to bless you in the field. I want to bless you coming in and I want to bless you going out. I want to make you the head and not the tail, above but not beneath. You go over and not under. That's for me. That's for you. That's for me. And so there was significance in what the Jews did at the Feast of Tabernacle. You want to see some of the prophetic things that would take place to it? Turn to the book of Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Where is Zechariah, Pastor? Well, if you're going backwards in the Old Testament, go to Malachi. If you're, uh, if you're Italian, that's Malachi. And then you'll hit Zechariah, okay? That's where we're headed. Zechariah 14. Now, I encourage you in your own reading and your own study, go through there and read this whole chapter. Because it will talk about prophetic stuff that will happen. That will be a fulfillment of this. I'm going to read little bits of it and fill in the blank for us. So we go to Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. You know what that means? The day of the Lord refers to the end time. What does that mean, Pastor? Just a little while longer and I'll see you. Just a little while longer and I'm out of here. Hostile lasagna, I'm out of here. That's what this means. The end time, listen, it's going to happen. There's always going to be people that will mock that and say, do you really believe that? You can look and say, I really do. Because you know what? Just a little while longer and I'm out of here. We had a good chance to shout. Okay, keep reading. And this is what's going to happen toward the Jews. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. All the nations will battle against Jerusalem. Your city will be taken. Your houses will be rifled or looted. Your women will be ravished or raped. And half of the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and he will fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Can I tell you about something about the Lord Jesus when he fights? He is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. He has never lost and he never will, okay? And so when he fights, not that we can go to Vegas and put all your money on him, okay? Because he's going to win. Guaranteed it's going to happen. Verse 4. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And that verse right there is cross-referenced into Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Acts 1, verse 11 says, that after Jesus had spoken to his disciples and he said, listen boys, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It said that he ascended into heaven. And when it says here that his feet will be on Mount Olive, the same way he ascended into heaven, he will come back in a similar manner. Well, how will that be, Pastor? Well, I'm not totally sure because I wasn't at the first one. But I kind of get an idea. 
And can you imagine that? That his last words on the face of the earth to his disciples were, listen, boys, you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, he just... He's going to come back in the same manner. Now, you can use your imagination. I don't know everything, okay? But I got an idea how it's going to happen. And here he's going to come. And he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And then look what happens. Which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split into two. From the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Then, this is speaking to the Jews, you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Zel. Yes, you shall flee. As you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come. Now get this. And all the saints with you. That's me and you. This is after the rapture. And so we're going to check out of here. And when Jesus returns the second time, all the saints are going to be with him. Woo, we come back. And Jesus will come first and then here we'll come back. How's that going? I don't know. I don't know if we all get angel wings or what. All I do is know we believe this. Some of you have always wanted to be an angel. Well, here's your chance. It's going to be awesome, though. Verse 6. And it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at the evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be, get a hold of this, and don't forget this part right here. That living water shall flow from Jerusalem. Now keep that thought in your mind. Living water will flow. Understand, remember, on the Feast of Tabernacle, one of the things that they gave the drink offering for was, Father God, we need rain. Well, now he says there's going to be living water. And he goes on to say, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. The eastern sea was the Dead Sea. But when this occurs, the Dead Sea won't be dead any longer. It's going to come back to life. Do you know the Dead Sea wasn't always dead? That the reason the Dead Sea became dead was God put judgment upon their water for what took place at Sodom and Gomorrah. Once again, there's judgment on water. But just as God can cause the Dead Sea to come back alive, God can cause anything He wants to come back alive, including people, including you. He'll do it. So He's going to cause the water to run into the Dead Sea and into the Mediterranean Sea. And half of them toward the western sea, in both summer and winter, it shall occur. Now the reason he highlights that right now, that the only time the rivers run in Israel is in the wintertime. That's when they get the rain. In the summertime, it stops. They don't get any rain, so the rivers don't run. But he said, when this takes place, it's going to be a continuous flow. Over and over and over and over again. And he goes on to say in verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, 
and his name is one. And the reason for that is worldwide evangelism will have taken place. It's going to happen. Same chapter, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. And can I tell you what's going to happen? When you read the Bible, there's going to be a, a, a 200 million man army that will come out of the east. And they will attack Israel from the north. And what's going to happen is the Jews, it says their hands will be on their lawns. And they'll be looking and they'll see this army coming and they'll know. We're fixing to get wiped out if God doesn't intervene. God intervenes. He intervenes. And the Bible literally says that that army, those men, their eyes will, will dissolve right there in their sockets. In other words, they're fixing to get tore up. But if you look here what he says in verse 16, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations... What this is talking about is not everyone from the nations around the world will fight against Israel. There's going to be believers all around the world that have gotten born again and they love Jesus. And so this is who's left over from that. And so he goes on to say, they will come up against Jerusalem. They shall go up from year to year to worship the king or Jesus, the Lord of hosts. And they'll keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the only festival that will still be appropriate in Jesus' reign. They're still going to do the Feast of Tabernacle. Now, if they won't come up and worship Him as King, check out verse 17. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth, the nations of the earth, do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no reign. The judgment on water again. You know, I look at our land. You, you remember two, three, four years ago when we were in that drought? Man, it was rugged. Nothing would grow. But right here, God is saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to bless the ones that will worship me. I'm going to take care of you again. How does this pertain to us in the New Testament? We'll go to the book of John, chapter 7. John chapter 7, got just a few more passages of Scripture, going to make a lot of sense to us as New Testament believers. Now what's going to be shocking to you or surprising to many of you is you're going to find out Jesus himself, he participated in the Feast of Tabernacles. John 7 verse 37. On that last day, the great day of the feast. What feast? Well, I could start in verse number 2, and, and just real quick, let me read verse 2. Now, the Jews' feast of their tabernacle was at hand. So this was what was happening on that last great day of the feast of tabernacle. This was Jesus talking. So think about it. Here they are in the feast of tabernacles. They've offered the bulls. They've offered the lambs. Now they're doing the drink offering. And check out what happens here. And on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, if anyone needs a drink of water, what's he got to do? Let him come to me and drink. So you know what Jesus was saying right here? They had just done the drink offering. And Jesus is saying, hey boys, if any of you are thirsty, come to me. 
And Jesus was actually telling the Jews right there, he was the fulfillment of the drink offering. In other words, you don't need to keep on doing the drink offering. I'm it. And I love what he said there. If any of you thirst spiritually, and that's still the same, but if you thirst spiritually, what do you got to do? You got to come to Jesus and drink. You got to come to Jesus and partake. You know, one of the greatest ways we partake of Jesus is anytime we partake of the communion elements, his broken body and his blood. And you know what you're saying? Jesus, I receive you as the sacrifice. I acknowledge your blood was shed for me in the remission of my sins, and I thank you that your broken body still speaks to this day. And so Jesus says, come to me, all you thirsty. And we pick up in verse 38. And he who believes in Jesus as Messiah, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The exact same thing that was quoted in Zechariah 14.8. And so Jesus right here, not only does he say, come to me, he's telling them, I'm going to fulfill everything you need with rivers of living water in your heart. What was he talking about? He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he was telling them, listen guys, everything that you're going to need is found in the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus himself said in the book of John, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send you the helper. I can't send you the Holy Spirit. Do you know there's only two references in the Bible where God says that men need help? They need a wife. And all the men said, Amen. And the Holy Spirit, the helper, God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was talking about. Let me give you a little description of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, he'll empower you. Empower you to what? To be godly in an ungodly world. He said in Romans 8-14 that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. He said in Romans 8-16 that the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. In other words, you got a direct hotline through the Spirit of God in your spirit. Does he still do that? Absolutely. He said this, that the Holy Spirit would be the great teacher. He'll show you things to come. And so Jesus right here, he's telling them, listen guys, what you got to do is receive me. And when you receive me, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. So in verse 39, look what John says. He said, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Jesus would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So remember Jesus' words. He said, I can't give you the Holy Spirit till I'm out of here. Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. So we think of everything that Jesus is talking about. And in Acts 2, Jesus tells the Holy or the, the disciples, you've got to be filled with the Spirit, boys. Get the Holy Spirit, okay? 
Once you get filled with the Holy Spirit, the assignment I gave every one of you, He's going to help you. He's going to help you fulfill my will in your life. So right after Jesus says that, He ascends into heaven. Then in Acts, uh, in Acts of 1 and into Acts 2, these same disciples, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, they start speaking. And all the Jews that are in Jerusalem at that time, they hear these disciples who are Galileans speaking in all these other languages. Verse 11, look at this. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they get filled with the Holy Ghost and they start speaking about how awesome God was. How many have ever heard the Holy Spirits of the devil? Woo, I'm telling you right now, those people that are filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues, they're of the devil. You know, I lived for the devil a lot of years of my life. And I was drunk a lot of years of my life. And never one time in my life did I tell all my buddies, let's go get drunk tonight so we can all speak in other tongues. And never one time in my life when I was drunk on alcohol did I go around glorifying God. Woo, God's great. No. And so right here, when this takes place, it's very apparent that something supernatural or a God thing has happened to these guys. So we keep reading in verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? They needed an explanation. What happened? Verse 13. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. They're drunk. So we go back and we think, Jesus offered them living water. And right here, they're accused of being full of wine. And when you look at all this, guys, it's something that was supernatural. Something that only God could do. That mankind could not do that. And so what happened here with the Holy Spirit with them is He wants you to be the salt of the earth. He wants you to shine. He wants you to sparkle so much that other human beings look at you and say, what happened to you? And then you get to tell them, oh, Jesus came on the inside of me and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and da-da, here I am. I love to go around people that knew me when I was a teenager. And it wasn't that long ago I sat at this big table with a lot, of, a lot of my old classmates. And there was several girls there at the table who knew me growing up. And one of them sat right beside me. I knew she sat by me on purpose. And she looked at me and she said, I couldn't wait to see you. And I said, why? And she said, what happened to you? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you're not that same person. And I said, well, I gave my heart to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came on the inside of me. And he took a mess and he made me a miracle. And now instead of being abrupt and rude and harsh, he just comes on the inside of me and begins to work. See, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do with every one of us. 
So we go back and we look here after this was said in verse 13 and we jump to verse 14. But Peter standing up with 11 raised his voice and said to them. I got to stop right there. Because until Peter got filled with the Holy Spirit, he was Peter the pathetic. Peter was notorious for putting his foot in his own mouth. How many of you remember Peter is the guy who rebuked Jesus? Duh. To rebuke Jesus? But all of a sudden, this guy who had messed up over and over again in life, he gets, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and you see a difference. See, I want to highlight Peter to every one of us in this room right here. Because there's many of you, you've said, I've done such bad things in my life, God could never use me. Or God could never forgive me. Yeah, he can. Yeah, he can, and yeah, he will. When you surrender to him and you say, okay. And you say, Lord, take this mess and make me a miracle and this is exactly what Peter did. So Peter stands up to begin to speak. And I believe the other apostles hold their breath and they're thinking, Oh no, what's he going to say? Oh no, what's he going to do? Now look what happens here. And Peter said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words, For these are not drunk as you suppose. They're not drunk as you assume. You know, one of the characteristics of a drunk is he's joyful. A drunk is, is somebody who doesn't care. But when the Holy Spirit comes on us, and I believe this has been missing within the church, there's not a, a joy that comes from alcohol. There's a joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Where you're excited about life. You don't need something man-made. You don't need to go on a cruise to, to Hawaii. You say, man, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. And because I'm full of him, there's an excitement and there's an energy within me that only he can bring. So look what he goes on and says. They're not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now listen to this. And it shall come to pass in those last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All that want him, all that receive him, all that thirst for him. And remember, those who thirst for him, Jesus said, I'll give you rivers of living water and they'll flow. He goes on to say, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Woohoo! Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Some of you older ones, you're still going to dream. And my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. That just happened. Just happened. And he goes on to say, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when you begin to look at this, the fulfillment of the Feast of the Tabernacles for me and you was Jesus is who saves. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers. And one of the greatest tragedies I believe within the church is we quit preaching about the Holy Spirit. Pastor, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Yep, I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. 
And I'll tell you again, the three smartest things I ever did in my life was number one, I gave my heart to Jesus. Number two, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And number three, I married Shelly, and she's still putting up with me. But those three are in that order right there. And the Holy Spirit will come on the inside of you, and He'll start working. And He'll change you in inside out. And He'll be begin to move. It's interesting that, that, that the Lord said it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. Let's invite Him in. Let's welcome Him. And so the Feast of the Tabernacle, it had prophetic implications, but it also had for me and you right now. I can get born again. I can come to Jesus. And I can get filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.